Now entering Nerdist.com. Today's episode was recorded at ATX Television Fest. Were you there? It was the best, right? Were you not there? Why weren't you there? Season 6 badges are now on sale. That's for next year. You don't want to miss this. They've already got some amazing things cooking. Go to ATXFestival.com. Get your Season 6 badges there. Uh, Also, they're putting up uh, videos versions of all of the podcasts that I'll be releasing and all of the panels and stuff, uh, some that I won't be releasing. Go to atelevisionexperience.com, atelevisionexperience.com, and you can see the video version of this and uh, many other panels and events that happened at ATX this year. Hope to see you in 2017. Also, a television writer myself, having written for Supernatural, Puss in Boots, uh, FX's, Cassius and Clay, which was canceled before it was put on the air. <laughs> uh, and pertinent to our conversation, I have a comic from Marvel coming out in uh, two weeks called Deadpool vs. Gambit. I hope you will catch it. Yeah. Please do check it out. Uh, please welcome our panelists, Rosemary Rodriguez. Javi Grilla, Mark's Watch, and Brian Michael Bendis. Anywhere you want. Brian, let's start with you, because I feel like this was the longest answer. (laughs) Um, You are the uh, co-creator of Powers. Mm -hmm. Uh, You are the... uh, co-creator of Jessica Jones. Yes. That's the stuff that has crossed over. Yes. Um, but what is your relationship with comics presently and, and sort of growing up? Well, I, I'm still exclusive at Marvel Comics where I write the monthly adventures of Iron Man, Spider-Man, Guardians of the Galaxy, and the big summer hoo-ha Civil right. War II, Electric Boogaloo. The first issue and has been released. Your know, first issue has right. been released. It did, uh, did very well. Very, very excited about it. It's a beautiful looking book. Uh, and I also do create our own. I straddle. I'm a unique in that I straddle both worlds, and I do um, uh, powers, which is still coming out in, in comic book form. And I do a book called Scarlet, which is coming out, which is um, soon to be announced. Will be uh, also in our universe of television. And uh, thank you. Yeah. Exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> Not announced yet, but <laughs> HBO. And uh, um, yeah, it's pretty exciting. And um, and we're, we're yeah. So it's it's um, the base and my love and my first love and my time is spent in comics. Yeah. yeah. And and for those of you who are superhero fans, check out all Brian's Marvel stuff. And for those of you who are not superhero fans, check out all of his other stuff. I agree with everything you're saying. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's great. It's always my first read uh, every week. Um, what was your relationship with comic books growing up? Were you a comics kid? Oh, yeah. No, I, I, at an early age, had stood up at the Passover dinner table and announced that I would be the artist of Spider-Man. Like, I really had declared it at six years old. It is declared. And I wasn't even sure what I was saying other than I saw there were names. And as soon as I figured out there were names in the front of the book responsible for this feeling Mm -hmm. that I had, 
that I wanted to do it. And my mother did turn to me a couple of years ago and goes, wow, you got really close. That's really, that's really something. Cause she was there. She remembered I declared it and, and the, I've been writing Spider-Man for 17 years. Yeah. So yeah, that's it's, amazing. It's amazing. And, for, and all she had to say was you got really close. Like, you, yeah, no, no, I said artist, writing. but I got writer. I'm okay, still, okay. I'm not like, I'm like writer, artist. That's, I got that close. That was, you know, I, I'm curious. And, and then I do want to talk to you guys. I promise. Um, <laughs> As a writer of comics and for someone who had that feeling, uh, you know, you saw the names in the comic and that, that moved you. You wanted to do that. Is that something you keep in mind as you are creating comics? Well, that yeah, there no. is someone, there is a you out there? Well, then you discover, even in indie comics, that the feeling you get reading a comic that makes you feel that way, giving that feeling is like 50 times more powerful. You can't be taught that. It has to happen. Like when someone comes at you, um, I, I've got it with Jessica Jones. Miles Morales is another situation. Is um, you should. For, do you guys know who Miles Morales is in my Marvel? Oh, I like this. But we good, don't have to explain. I like this crowd. This That's is great. great. But um, <laughs> but um, going to uh, the response of Miles Morales is so overwhelming, and it's so on a daily basis, and it's so personal that that's way more than any feeling I ever got reading a comic. And then the feeling of going to Build a Bear to buy the Miles Morales Build a Bears. That was pretty exciting, and they say Miles Morales on them. Anyway, that's a, that's amazing. That's really cool. All right, All right. let us let us talk briefly. Uh, Secret Origins, Javi. Uh, what is your your comic book connection? Why are you on this panel? What's going on? <laughs> uh, I did an independent comic book called The Middleman uh, in the mid aughts, and uh, and then um, that became a television show at ABC Family, and I wrote uh, some books for Marvel, and uh, I wrote some books for Dynamite, and. Uh, you know, I've been a comic book fan my entire life. I'm actually, I, 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 comic books have become sort of like a thing that I do. Like, like I'm about to put one out independently um, just for kicks because my buddy and I wrote a pilot. Nobody wanted to see a comedy from us. So, we, so, I, <laughs> so I, I had this artist that I had worked with that I really liked. So I made a comic book out of it and probably be putting it out in the next couple of months. And if one of you buys it, it'll be a miracle because uh, <laughs> it'll be really hard to find. And, you know, curated obscurity is kind of my gig. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you say, like, the Miles Morales thing, like, I, I got this one email from, like, the, the one person about the middleman that was sort of saying the same thing, uh, and I was like, oh, I got, I got the one, it's good. <laughs> so, you know, but, um, and in terms of sort of my history with comics, like, you know, when I was a kid growing up in Puerto Rico, I used to read the, the translations of the comic books that would be published in Mexico, and then I moved to the United States, and my buddies and I would get on the University of Michigan bus in Ann Arbor and go to the Eye of Agamotto, which was our neighborhood comic book store, and... <laughs> Uh, that's a good name for a story. It was a great story. It was like, yeah, it, it was totally run by the dude from The Simpsons. I mean, it was like that archetypal, you know, comic book store. And um, and I would buy Mad Magazine, and then they would buy like you know The Dark Knight Returns and The Watchmen and all of that. And I would read their books. And and it, it, you know, comic books are just part of the air that I, the pop culture air that I've breathed my whole life. And well, and you you were always like a sci-fi kid, right? Like yeah. a genre kid. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. it made sense for for you to make absolutely. Yeah. But you know, the, the other thing is that you know the the you know, my consumption of comic books, you know, remains to this day, and, and I sort of don't read as much capes and tights anymore as I used to, but, you know, it sort of moved into reading, like, memoir books and documentary books and, and all of that. For me, graphic novels and comic books and, and all of that are just, they're, they're just a, a, a huge um, area of, of art that is just, a, it's, a, it's a massive part of my consumption of any media, you know, so, so and, and I just, you know, what, what you said about the feeling you get when you read a comic book, it's like, 
you know, that was something that was just constant throughout my childhood, both uh, in terms of capes and tights, but also in terms of things like Mad Magazine again. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when, when, and, and it's exactly that. You, you, you want to give that feeling back to people. So I, I co-sign and uh, re- return, that, return that to it's you tenfold. It's funny, though, and we'll talk about this a little bit, but, but The Middleman, both the comic and the TV show, feels like Mad Magazine plus Marvel Comics. Oh, absolutely. I, I think I probably learned more about questioning the establishment Counterculture and uh, and and the deconstruction of of, of existing tropes and yeah. the way that that the uh, that the man holds you down from Mad Magazine <laughs> than I did for four years at cultural studies in university. Yeah. You know, it it, it was a, a hugely hugely subversive force that that while it was allowed to exist in that form, uh, was was extraordinary. And I think that's one of the, the you know it's funny comics are so mainstream now and you know and, and I think that we, we can all agree that our people won. You know, like we really, you know, it's like we are, you know, we are the dominant force in popular culture. If you culture want to beat and, them up after class, it's cool. <laughs> you know, and it's great. You know, like, I mean, look, it's anybody who goes to Comic-Con and sees, you know, sort of the number of people who are there and the, and, and the top ten grossing films at all times. But there are times when I kind of miss it, you know, and, and, and this is a, a moot complaint, but there's times when I miss when our, my beloved art form was a little less reputable because, because of some of the things we could get away, you know, that, that the creators could get away with in terms of what they were saying about society. As a fan of the original of the original Howard the Duck, for example, you know, which I, I think is just a, a incredible book, it's it's amazing that that was published by a company like Marvel in the seventies. You know, so so I think I think that comics also have the power to to speak uh, for the little guy and to speak for forces that, especially in the in the independent realm, um, to speak for forces that are not represented in and even and and, and even something like like Miles Morales, for example. Um, or Kamala Khan. I mean, it's like you're literally seeing comic books pioneering. Mm-hmm. Uh, even now that they're mainstream and they're a dominant force in popular culture, you're seeing comic books p- pioneering things that the major studios and, and all of that are not willing to take on. So, so I think that even in even in their current form as a as a force in pop culture, uh, comics are still very forward looking in a way that that other fields are not. Well, I, I want to uh, talk about in a moment, you know, whether or not. <clears throat> TV shows and films based on comics have sort of taken over that fighting the popular notion or, or having new ideas or whatever. So, so consider that for a minute. But Rosemary, tell us about your comics bona fides. Uh, we know you as a director of Jessica Jones, of right. The Good Wife, many other things. Right, right, right. Um, what is your relationship to comics? Well, I, I, first of all, when I grew up, I was obsessed with Batman. <laughs> no, not the right one to say. <laughs> but, yeah, so but who didn't love? But Batman? I did love Batman. And I also love Little Dot and Richie Rich. And I love Crumb. I love, like, the, the, when you talk about the subversity, that's what's really interesting to me. And even um, when you talk about Howard the Duck, it's like I'm making a documentary right now about Lee Quinones, who's a graffiti artist. And he's the first person he put a wall on the Lower East Side. And the first person to sort of bring graffiti before Keith Haring, like, above ground. And he did a whole handball court. And it was Howard the Duck. And I remember like seeing that, like just like being blown away. But for me, it's like once I saw also Batman on TV and I could see that like, because I'm a very visual person and I could see like the words coming out of their head, like on a screen, on a TV screen versus like in the, I was like, that took it to like a whole new level. Because what's cool is like, I was always a very quiet kid. And so I always really appreciated that you could know what people were thinking. You know, I thought that was really, really interesting because watching things, you never really knew that. And so that was always sort of my draw was like just being introverted and then sort of connecting to this, like what these people are doing and who they are. That's really 
interesting considering your profession. I mean, is this something, is the, the thought balloon something you take into account when you are directing actors in any kind of Well, I of think the story? subtext, I think it like yeah. sort of introduced me to subtext. And that's, that's, what, that's what we all do. I mean, we tell a story, but it gets enriched by the subtext. Yeah. You know, that's, that's what really hooks us all in is like, you know, that's what connects our humanity in the characters and says things that, you know, we really want to say, but we're afraid to say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in directing Jessica Jones. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, you like it, right? I love that show. <laughs> were you... Thank you, Brian. I just found out today there's a TV show for Jessica yeah. Jones. <laughs> it's really good. It's really so good. I'm going to have my, lo- I'm gonna my lawyer <laughs> get into it. It's not on HBO. Sorry. Um... Do you have to keep it in your mind, that this source material? Do you have to remember this comes from a comic book? And how does that, how does that play into directing that show? Well, yeah. I mean, I love the character that you created. Loved. Um, I would say my only, my only disappointment isn't the right word, but maybe a little disappointment, was that she curses so much, and she says fuck a lot, and so do I. And then when it was Jessica Jones, I was like, oh, but what happened to the fox? But, you know, actually, I, I saw Melissa being interviewed on one of those roundtable yeah. uh, Hollywood Reporter things, and she brought up there's no swearing. I didn't notice either. I didn't notice. Oh. She was right because she says in the interview that Kristen Ritter's face says... When she says, when she says, pass the mayonnaise, her eyes say, fuck you. And... Uh, and I, even I didn't notice until she pointed it up. So, well, but the reason there's so much swearing in Alias was because, and I, I, I Alias well, is the the comic I, book on which Jessica yeah, Jones was the based. original it's series, incredible. Right? Yeah, the no, original Alias, by the, the way, the one true part. Alias yes. to some of us. Yes, well, God bless you. But um, uh, is and also it's the first mainstream Marvel comic that has swearing in it, and. I had written the first draft of what would become Alias, and I handed it to the publisher as kind of my pitch document. Like I wrote the first eleven pages, which include the opening scene and the and the first sex scene with Luke Cage. Like all that was in there, and I handed it in just at, in script form, not in you know, right. you know, not in a, a pitch form, not in the pitch form, yeah. in script form. It goes, this is what I'm thinking about. This is how. But Marvel doesn't do this. But I just want to show it to you so we could talk about it. And then he called me back and goes, why doesn't Marvel do this? I go, I don't know. He goes, he goes we're doing it. And I go, okay, great. And then I put in as many F-words as I could because I figure they're going to stop this event. They're going to go, stop, you know, there's, someone's going to get a hold of themselves and stop it. So I just wanted to get as many in as possible. And then it became part of how she talked. That's really funny. So, uh, but, so in the show, besides the swearing, yeah. you know, it's not a... It's not a comic book world. I mean, even Alias isn't a comic book world, but it is in the Marvel Universe. Again, what, how aware do you have to be of that, and how much are you just directing well, a detective so. show? Well, very much so. I mean, I, I definitely read, I read, you know, and mm-hmm. I wanted to know the character and, and really study the character and know what she was about before I even, like, show up and get my, you know, and sometimes you don't get your script that quickly in television. You know, you get a little head, but it's an ever-evolving thing. And um, I was curious, if I may, I, I want to talk about oh, Jessica oh, Jones a lot. It, I'm just curious, um, how is it when they add characters to, how does it feel as, as like, writing the original thing? Is that okay that I ask that? I've I just no, been dying to when ask him. When they're good characters, it's great. 
because I get credit for that too. But honestly, my I'm the wrong person to ask because my luck in the quality of these adaptations right. has been so high that, and I know that I have friends that have been on the on the receiving end of some uh, bad adaptations or adaptations that weren't as faithful or loving. So, mm-hmm. like you know, all the choices that were made, like. Patsy Walker instead of Carol Danvers. That when Jeff Loeb called me to say, "Hey, listen, we can't use Carol Danvers because she's getting her own movie." That's good, um, but unannounced. Uh, no, they announced it. Did they? Yeah, Never yeah. mind. It's, it's, Marvel announces into like the tw- it's twenty twenty. They have okay. they, they, right. They've annu- they have announced. And uh, Javi doesn't read the trades. But but you scared you scared me because sometimes I do know some stuff that isn't been announced. Oh, I I like Shit! That. Did I imagine that that it got announced? Okay. Who makes it to the end of Civil War Two? Um, Just as long as we're spoiling. I was gonna, I was going to say me, but that might be the choice. That might be the case. But uh, um, but truthfully, that like when they were putting in Patsy Walker, it was such a great movie because Patsy Walker is another character that I use like every time I can use her. So it was well within the mindset of how it easily could have been Patsy Walker instead of Carol Danvers. So stuff like that was all positive to me. Yeah. No, thank you. I would just, I've always wanted to ask him that question. And like think of some more feels. questions. I'm, no, no, no. I just want to know. So, so no, it's very helpful. So I, so I, so I definitely um, you know, read Alias. I knew the character. I get the script. And then you know, it's, it was like really a joy to be able to work with um, what's honored in, in, from the comic to the show, I think, is really the, the flawed character. And, and the trauma that she went through and, and the darkness to it and kind of her inability to express it. Like, you know, she's maybe, maybe a little more verbal in Alias, I think, a little bit. Maybe a little yeah, bit more. Yeah, that depends on but, um, but, but, no, not in a, I mean, in a great way. I mean, but because Kristen Ritter adds a lot of subtext and she does have so much with a look. Well, that's, I mean? yeah, that's something I wanted to but talk about. But the shooting about. style of it, you know, is definitely influenced by the, by the comic, sure. for sure. Because, um, you know, it's, a, it's so psychological. And that's, that's really what I keyed in on. And, and then you're able to, like, turn the camera, do certain things, or do, you know, tell the story in a, you know, stick stuff, squeeze her in the frame. Like, so mm. she's really... You know, just so many things like that that you can have fun with. Well, what we talked about in Powers, I'm curious about your feelings on it because I, I feel that you got closer than anyone to this, what I think is kind of the next goal is that with with the... I'll make sure to tell them that. With, the, with, with so many television shows being based on source material and not just the superhero stuff and zombie and Jessica and where there's there and they're looking at the language of the source material, not just, and not trying to make, um, like here's Rami Ubishan, who's our showrunner on powers. He goes, I'm looking at Mike Oming's drawings and they're so visceral and in your face. And there's gotta be a way to tell our story using television language that's based on this. That isn't just here. We're doing the comic book. Here's a bunch of comic book panels that are moving around like they did on like Watchmen or something like that. Like what? Here's here's comic book language and there's TV language and they're Venn diagrammed. And in the middle is this third thing. And I think when the just at the beginning of whatever this third thing is, that's a different kind of storytelling, of uh, visual storytelling. And I think that Daredevil and Jessica Jones has it. And it, it's like it's becoming. More than its source material, it's elevating to another thing. 
I, I'm, I'm, I, again, we're just at the beginning, but do you feel but, that too? Do you feel and, like... Uh, may, may I actually speak to that yeah, one? Yeah. I, I, I'm sorry. I don't mean no, to... No, you're no, the director. No, I, I, um, you know, it, it, it's interesting. I, I was a ground floor reader of Powers. Like, I literally bought the first issue at Golden Apple in L.A. And one of the things that I thought was so striking about it is that... And about, I think, all the best comic books. Like, if I think about all of the, the, the books that I truly love, you know, that like uh, Darwin Cooks in a Frontier, which is basically written in Cinemascope. Um, and it, it's that... The language is very filmic, and the flow of your eyeball across the page mimics editing. And it mimics classical filmmaking in a really interesting way, because what you have to do is create a, uh, a real mise-en-scene and use the flow of panels on the page to mimic the idea of, of panels, of moving into those panels. When I, when I first spoke to the uh, gentleman who directed the, um, the Middleman pilot, he said to me something that no director that I talked to said to me, which is he said, I want to build strong frames and only go into those frames when it's absolutely necessary. And, uh, and, and this is a guy who had been a, 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 an art photographer and a fashion photographer for Vogue and, and all of this stuff. So, and, and that was how we did and, and it was a really interesting, interesting thing to do because I felt like it was really honoring the idea that this had been a comic book and that the artist who did the comic book really had studied the idea of mise-en-scene in terms of how he created his masters and his establishing shots and that those things existed to be consumed, not just to be passed over to the next edit, you know? Mm-hmm. Is that in any way... No, no, no I, I totally agree. I, mean, I was looking at my phone because I wanted to try to find... Because I actually had some frames, like I was actually shooting pictures of the comics <laughs> to sort of keep with me, and of course I can't find any pictures on my phone. But I did it's keep it. a bunch it. of pictures of Batman? Is that what you got? No, 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 <laughs> pictures from Alias! I had Alias in here, because there were certain like images and things that definitely were influencing me, you know? And then... And then working for Marvel was was really um, extraordinary for me because although there, there's a lot of um, meetings and pre-production and they really want to nail down all the details and you do previs of like the stunts and all the things that you do and 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 yet what they would say to me was very little directly like not imposing do you know what I mean and I remember it's highly um, collaborative. Well, it was just, they just really left me to be. And, and I remember um, Jim Corey, like right before, the day before we were going to shoot or something, I was like, so you got anything for me, whatever. And he was like, I got one word for you, just graphic. And I'm like, right, that's it. That's all I needed to hear. It was like, and it's freeing to be able to just play. And once you do all your homework, to just sort of play. And then, and then, you know, the other thing, I love collaborating. So you've got a lot of people that you're working with um, you know that are that are so keyed into the world and so trying to honor the world. And well, that's then... that's something I, I kind of want to pick up on because when you are writing a comic, it is your immediate collaborator is your artist. Everything you're writing is for your artist, um, and then you have your editors and eventually your colors and letters and everyone. Uh, television is a much more collaborative medium. There are a lot more people involved. Um, so I want to talk specifically about Powers uh, and Middleman, Javi, and that collaboration of you know seeing what was a vision of one in one or two people through all of this process to hundreds of people and how do you maintain that vision well it, it, it truthfully it is the reason i write so many comic books is that i am full-on addicted mm-hmm. to the artist collaboration yeah. like even while we were talking a page of iron man showed up on my on my on my watch <laughs> uh, but, but those are beautiful pages it, it's it's truly addicting. I love it. I get a jolt every time a piece of artwork comes in. I get a jolt. And I have felt that my whole life. Now, coming into television, 
it's like, ooh, it's that plus it's a hundred other people. So now it's it's a bunch of artists all on the same team. Now it's our costume designer and our cinematographer and our production designer, and everyone's working on this t- towards the same goal. So it's it's the same job, but elevated mm-hmm. to you know in the writers room it's it's there's writers and everyone's you know and everyone's throwing the craziest thing they can think of so i i truly love it and for me at this stage in my life oh a new experience that's it still powers and people and it's one of like the three things in the world that people look to look to me to be an expert on and like oh yeah I, this i am an expert on like when people ask me about parents i'm like i don't <laughs> but the, 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 this, this I can, I can tell you what Dina's supposed to be wearing here. That, that I can tell you. So it's, 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 it is. It, and I'm lucky that I found a showrunner that we get along fabulously. That you know, like we're really. It's a, the, the, It's all about you know human interaction, and the, and the actors are all on the same page, and they're so proud to inhabit their characters, like truly. And Kristen is so loves being Jessica. You know, that was the best part. Uh, meeting her was like, oh, look, she loves this more than I ever did, and I loved it, you know. And and so it's, it's and and it is exciting to share that. Now the downside is um, when me and Mike Oming, who co-created Powers, and uh, uh, we're alone in our basements, and I'll think of something gross, and then he'll draw it, and we'll giggle, and it's just us, and it's any comic, and nobody cares. So uh, and then. When Sony goes, listen, we would like this season to be a lot more like the comic, including all those weird things that you did. And I'm like, okay, Powers Theme Set Club it is. And then my first episode I wrote for this season, we it's a Powers Theme Sex Club, and there's 65 people, and they're all in costumes, and they're all having sex, and there's a guy in a sex basket with sparks shooting out of his ass as he, as he swoops around. And that's all stuff you give to an artist, and then you're done. Right. But now I have this lovely woman from Props coming to me with dildos going, which one do you want? Which sex basket do you want? And she's being completely professional, but I know the thought balloon is, you little creep. You know, so it's... it's uh, it's very, oh, and then as a, but here's the funny, the other thing, we're on, we're on set after sex club and there was like 65 professional sex people uh, involved with each other all day. And just some, some guy from the crew who I didn't know, some brother guy just came up and goes like this and he goes, he was just, hey, he goes, I go, what? He goes, it was a good day at the office. He's just, he's just completely happy with me. Beats the shit out of watching Caruso put on his glasses on and off. That's for sure. You know? I, think, <laughs> I, mean, I think what he said, he said to me, he goes, last season, uh, Eddie Izzard was naked the entire season. And I was just behind him with a boom mic looking at his taint. And this is much better. That's what he said to me. You know, and, and, and apropos of, of that show running... But I don't know if I want to hear this. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm actually not talking about the sex apropos basket and the dildo. Apropos of Eddie Izzard's taint. In yes. apropos of the taint... <laughs> no. Uh, show running is, is, is an art, and it's also a science. And for me, it's an art of clarity. You know, when you're a, a writer on a comic book, you know, you can talk to the artist directly. You can figure it out. You can settle it out. And, uh, you know, the, the sex club will look a, a lot like if the writer and the artist have a good direct collaboration, the sex club will look exactly like what's in the writer's mind, plus the embellishment of, you know, the, the artist's own personal perversity based on whatever legacy of abuse he or she is living with. Um, but in TV, you know, you're doing the exact same thing that you're doing in a comic book, which is you're building a frame. I mean, it's, it's ultimately you're going to watch a rectangular screen and it's going to look like a comic book frame and somebody's going to show you that frame and you're going to see everything that's in it. So in terms of television and show running, and this is something that, that 
I'm, I'm a big evangelist for when I have run shows and, and when I have been the number two on shows with neophyte showrunners or things like that, is that you know, a showrunner's primary job, and, and, and it, it, it works on, on all aspects of it, is to be clear about the vision. You know, and it all really begins with that. I think in the case of, of, uh, of something like Jessica Jones, you're clearly dealing with a very powerful showrunner and, and some great source material. And that clarity is very easy, not easily, but that clarity is, is very described in the source material and it's very clearly embellished by everyone's work. Um, when, you, you know, when I went into doing The Middleman, I had this indie comic book. It was not very well known. People were looking at it and all that, but it was important that wherever I went as the showrunner and creator of this, that I continually articulated the aesthetic of it in a clear and concise manner that people could take with them. And the, the, the best example I can give of that is also the silliest, which is uh, about chubbiness. Um, which is that, that on the middleman, like, you know, I was talking to the art department and everybody, and they're like, you know, uh, props, well, art department, what are we doing? And I said, guys, this is a chubby show. And they're all like, what's a chubby show? And I'm like, I don't want the props to have sharp angles on them. I want everything to be sort of softer and rounded. And, you know, so, so eventually, like, that became the aesthetic. And I said, because I want people to feel like the show's tactile and, like, they can touch it and, and all of that. And, and, frankly, that's expressed in a weird way in the, in, in the sensibility and the writing. And at one point, like, you know, the sound designer comes in and says, what kind of sounds do you want? And I'm like, I want chubby sounds. And they're like, what's a chubby sound? And I'm like, well, most sci-fi sounds go, and I want them to go, and they're like, and, and they looked at me and they went, we get that. And then, like, <laughs> you know, so... So ultimately, you know, the, 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 what replaces the intimacy of the relationship between the writer and the artist in comics and television has to be the clarity that is brought to it by the showrunner because then that allows everybody else to know their job and do their job. That's great advice. I now will say as someone who has worked on other people's shows, the clearer that target is, the clearer, the easier my job is, right? And I assume that's true across the board. Like, yeah, you're yeah. walking into a show, you need to know... How it works, you need to know what they're going for. You need to know the tone. Well, you do, and yes, you do. I mean, again, I think that for me as a director, um, you know, there's a lot of homework that I'm doing already. So I come also with a vision, and I find it very um, helpful to be collaborative. You know what I mean? So, so I definitely like want to pick. You know, like Melissa is always available. Get on the phone, ask her questions. Um, But then also when it's like, oh, I want to pitch something. It's like she's listening. She's also, you know, there and open so that we feel... Because, you know, when you want to collaborate on anything, you want people to bring their best ideas. And ultimately, it's up to the person, you know, who's really in charge and got to answer for everything to say... Whose idea was the purple slat of light when we're talking about the purple man in theory or he'd been there when there's just the subtlest... It was probably, I would imagine... Was I, that in script, or was that... I don't remember. Uh, I don't know, but I'm guessing... You can take credit. No, I'm guessing between Melissa and Scott and the DP, who was amazing, who yeah. was a big collaborator in all of this, was, was Manuel Bilatera, who's amazing. Um, you know, I think, I think that there's certain... There, there's a lot of lighting discussions... And again, because it's so psychological to sort of learn how to tell that story. But for me, it's like I had, like, for example, I had one scene um, after in, in my episode where, um, where Clemens gets shot, okay? And he gets shot, and then Simpson, like, you know, sets the, like, shoots him and then puts gasoline and then kills him, right? So in that instance, it was sort of written where that was the end of it. Shoots him. We're sort of out, sets a fire. And so I was like, well, I mean, it's nuke after all. So maybe we can 
get one of the lighters that has an American flag on it. You know, maybe we can light the fire. And then we happened to have, where the way the set was set, was, was laid out, there's a long hallway at the end of that. So why don't we have them light it? We can just sort of peek at Nuke, like we kind of know, but it's not really spelled out. But people knowing will know. You know what I mean? And just have a kind of little iconic walk coming out. So it sort of feels scary, feels ominous, feels psychological, and you're just like, and that to me felt very graphic. Now I've got him coming towards us, sort of going in and out and working with Manuel where like he's dark and then he walks through little streams of light. So you can see his face, he goes dark, but the fire is blazing behind him. So, you know, little things like that, that wasn't really in the script, but Melissa's like, sure, go ahead, you know, and, and of course Marvel's like, fine. So things like that, I think, are what great and come out of collaboration. You know, well, it, it, enhances, awesome. it enhances the material. That's, and, yeah, and, 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 and then it gets more to like the sort of graphic comic yeah. nature of it, where, where you know people that know the story are going to get it. FreshBooks is dead simple cloud accounting software that's saving millions of freelancers from the scourge of dealing with their day-to-day -day admin and paperwork. Yeah, I said scourge. It's the perfect word to describe agonizing tasks like formatting and tracking invoices, managing cash flow, dealing with expense reports, chasing late payments, other things. Nobody likes to do this stuff, except maybe the 5 million freelancers and small business owners already using FreshBooks. Invoicing. It literally takes about 30 seconds to create and send a really professional-looking invoice. Your clients can pay you online which you can seriously improve how quickly you get paid. Late payment reminders. If a client forgets to pay you on time, FreshBooks will handle the awkwardness with customizable late payment reminders. Need more? Expense. FreshBooks has also cracked the code on expense tracking. You can set up FreshBooks to import expenses directly from your bank accounts, so next time you use your debit card for that business lunch, the transactions magically appear in your FreshBooks account. It's not actual magic. For a 30-day free trial, just go to freshbooks.com slash writers. Enter Nerdist Writers panel in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Once again, 30-day free trial. Go to freshbooks.com slash writers. Enter Nerdist Writers panel in the How Did You Hear About Us section. And get yourself some fresh books. Yeah, and the point I was making wasn't showrunner as dictatorial auteur. No, no, it was more like it was more like that when you, as the as the creator of something, draw the sandbox very vividly. Yes. Then all of the artists Absolutely. can come to it, and like you were given this Absolutely. word graphic, and it yeah. becomes about your interpretation of it, which yeah. is where the greatness of what of what you do comes in. It's like you know you you have this word in mind. It's been, you've been given a kind of description of what it means. You take it, you run with yeah. it, and you create. You know. Yeah, and I think the uniqueness of Alias is what something that Melissa clearly keyed in on right away. And the way she would discuss it, and the way she would talk about it, and the way she would sort of guard her storytelling, like how it was gonna, you know, the plot was gonna come 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 around, was really key to me understanding the whole thing because you know it, it really was about trauma. And it really was about, you know, and for me, it's like, it's a flawed character. It's someone who has these incredible powers, but who was, you know, tortured, who was, go, you know, sidetracked from her real mission in life. And, and I love that. I just, I just love that. Well, like I, t I told you uh, in, the, in the green room, um, a bad Jessica Jones show wouldn't just have been some, oh, that's too bad they made a... Yeah, they made the mystery men of uh, TV shows. That's too bad. But um, and I kind of like mystery men. But uh, um, but 
but uh, it was um, it part. It would have hurt my soul if it was like a bad show. Like it was a part of my my body, and and the relief having seen the early cuts of the first episodes was like. You know, because you know, because you just have to trust. You just have to be zen and trust, and 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 you know, and you know, hopefully not turn into Alan Moore and start bitching about everything. You know. Well, I'm yeah. curious to know, um, and, and I apologize that I don't know, but I know you're very, so involved with Powers. You're a writer on it, but for Jessica Jones, what was your involvement with first season story time? Uh, Melissa had me come to the writers' room and uh, sit and uh, like a campfire, <laughs> and all the writers got to ask me whatever they wanted to ask me. And um, I truthfully left that room going, ooh, they asked the right questions. Because there's a big pile of the wrong questions, and we've all been in that room where you're like, you're not asking the right question. <laughs> and they all asked the right questions. Um, I refused to answer what kind of sex Luke and Jessica were having in the first issue. And some of them were getting angry at me because I do look at it like a Rorschach test. And, uh, and, uh, and, and I wanted it to stay that way, so I refused to answer. And, uh, but it was a very good meeting that made me feel good about the whole thing and I would get updates throughout and I would just I'm I Melissa I'm at your discretion whenever you need me I'm there and 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 that's how she used me like that but I mean we were talking about like um when I was in New York Joe Casado go come to set and I'm like oh no I'm not going to bother them and he goes he goes what's wrong with you I go no I have a set so the excitement of being on set I have my own like I can get my free pop tart on my own set, this set, but I also know it's a workplace and sometimes it's very distracting to the creative process when people just lord it in and I have a feeling on these Marvel sets, it's just a constant parade. And yeah, like, I mean, like Matt Fraction did go to the Avengers set and stand on the helicarrier bridge and act out our own personal, like, two-man show that we did. But, but, and, but, and we, but even then when we do it, we know we're in the way. They're working. They're working and money's being spent. So, so I try to stay back so not to show up on set and I know, and I was, I was telling her in the green room that my, ooh, this is interesting face looks disappointed. Like, like, and I, I don't mean to do it, but I'm going like this. I'm going, but I'm just taking I'm so it. I'm, I'm taking it in. And you would be like, oh, fuck well, you. Well, when I yeah, saw that yeah. face, I said, thank you for not coming to set. No, seriously, I, I, I knew, but I knew that enough about me to go, let it be. So. Well, there are, there are a lot of um, people on set. On that set particularly, there were a lot of sets. Some sets there aren't, you know, on that particular set. And it's a new show, and, you know, there's a lot at stake, and and everyone knows how important it is. And so what I do personally is I just take a little monitor, and I just call it Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And, like, I just, I'm going to Hawaii, and I just take my little monitors, and I just go off closer to the actors, and I'm just doing my own thing. So they Um, can come and talk to me over there. I want to ask a quick question of Javi, and then we'll get some questions from you guys. Um, Since when have I answered a question quickly? <laughs> I, you'll notice how I put that right in. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, we know each other, and yes. I know you are a, a big fan of pulp stuff. You're a big comic book fan. You're a big fan of sci-fi and genre, like we talked about. When you're working on a show, whether it's your show or not show or not your show, is, are you able to inject this stuff into? It? I mean, look, you're working on Xena right now. Yes, Do you guys know this. Javi's working on the Xena uh, reboot. I am rebooting Xena. Can I audition for Xena? Yes, please. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just offer you the part. (laughs) It's more of that colorblind casting we were doing. I know. It's time for the middle-aged Jewish Xena. (laughs) 
um, so you know, Xena, there's clearly a straight line between so much pulp entertainment. Yeah, yeah uh, absolutely. But is this something that you're able to keep in mind? I mean, Lost and The 100, you worked on so many different kinds of shows. You know, I lucked out. I mean, we live in a comic book world. It's interesting because you mentioned, uh, you know, how do you know this takes place in a comic book reality? And the truth of the matter is that 10 highest grossing films of all time right now are all comic book movies except for Titanic. You know, they're, they're all either based on comic books or based on genre material. They, they, they draw from comic books. Uh, you know, and, and my love and expertise in that field has sort of translated into a, a career where, you know, th- when I started my career, there were like guys like me. We were like, you're a comic book guy. You're a genre guy. And now all of us are that. I mean, it's so so I feel like like we live in that world and comics have always, you know, to, to people who said comics got good. And then the comics started to. And, and I'm like, no, comics were always great. You know, and and it's like you just started noticing it, you know, because they were because you thought we were nerdy, and now you know you can make money off of it. You know, that's basically it. But so you know, it's 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 never not. No, been... it's also a lot of a lot of our guys got the job to well, make yeah. the decision. To, that that's how a lot of it started. Yeah. I mean, I you think know. we we should mention Chris Parnell. Yeah, like Chris Parnell at Sony, was responsible. he 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 guided Powers, which in a way is almost. A hard to make show because of its adult nature, and he found a home for it. Mm-hmm. The same thing with Preacher, and there's a few other projects. But the, the, you know, tick, what, the tick is coming back. That is Chris Parnell. What, 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 what Chris brings to it, and, and it's and it's it's about Generation X becoming the decision makers. The oh, people, not Chris Parnell, the yeah. actor. Chris no, Parnell, not Chris yeah. Parnell, the actor. Yeah, Chris Parnell, the studios. Yeah, who moderates the panel at Comic Con with all the TV writers. He's fantastic. Um, the thi- what 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 is interesting about Chris is is is, and you know, we should tell him we've basically done a panel about him now. I'm sure he's being tweeted about it, um, is that he's a Gen Xer. We're all Star Wars generation, so we grew up with Spielberg and Lucas giving us an appreciation for genre. And, you know, this is not a guy you ever hear going, how do we elevate the material? How do we make it not? What, what he's done is he's taken, you know, and by the way, I wanted to do Powers since the year 2000. <laughs> And they, oh, it's a feature now. Oh, it's going to be a TV show. And I'm like, well, please let me, you know. And, and you know, like, what my pitch for Powers was? Do Powers. You know, fucking do the comic book, for God's sake. You know, like, you literally, like, I would read the screenplay adaptations would be sent to me by my agent. And I'm like, they're not doing Powers. Why is everybody trying to do something other than Powers when Powers is sui generis? It describes its own greatness. And, and I think that's what... Smart development executives, smart creators do is that we're actually, instead of trying to do something better than the comic book, we're actually taking what's great about that material and executing that well. Yeah. E- even when the trappings change. I mean, I think Preacher is a good example of that. It's, it's not shot for shot. It's not exactly what you And it shouldn't have to be. It's an adaptation. Of, it feels like the show I, is a I comic, am, and that's important. Because, and I'm in, one of my other part-time jobs is what, part of the Marvel Creative Committee and watching the development of everything from the first Iron Man movie all the way to Doctor Strange and the decision, like you look at the first Iron Man movie or you can't point other than the origin moment, you can't point to anything, oh, it's that story, Mm -hmm. but it's totally Iron Man. There's, there's no shot-for-shot shot remake. I don't think those work. You know, they're, they're in, when they're done, they're interesting, and I look at them, and I'm fascinated by them just as a storyteller. It feels but, like an exercise. But the, 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 the harder thing to do is create the energy of the source material but using the medium for what it's supposed to be. And there is a yeah. word that is the worst word oh. that anybody has ever said and that I hear all the time and that it makes me homicidal, and that word is grounded. 
Okay? <laughs> Grounded is network executive speak for we don't trust you to not make it cheesy. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you why you see so many crappy adaptations of comic books, not as much now, but like especially in the late 90s, early aughts and all that. And, 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 and Grounded is the word that would have made an adaptation of Iron Man made in 1994 about how Tony Stark got nanites but didn't really have a suit. <laughs> you know? Because they'd be like, you know, the suit just doesn't feel grounded. It doesn't feel grounded. We, we need to ground this in a reality. And then you wind up with Tony Stark sort of he's got a, he injects himself with nanites and he can have super Wait, you know did you ever hear grounded with the middleman cuz there's no way to ground no no the middle <laughs> no 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 the middleman i gave the comic book to the to the president of the network and i said here's the show and she said yes and it's it was got a talking gorilla and word. god ble- yeah, and, and and no by the way and i kept saying it's got mobsters with machi- it's got monkeys with machine guns and she's like, yeah, I know. And I'm like, they're not metaphorical monkeys. It's going to be real monkeys with machine guns. And she's like, I know. And I'm like, do you? Because I'm doing this, you know. And, and they agreed to it, and we did it. And we did 12 episodes of it. And it is, it is a blessing that I didn't sell it to what the Sci-Fi Channel was in 2007 or what any other channel was, that it was literally one crazy person at ABC Family who had worked with me previously, knew me really well, read my comic book, and said the only note they gave me was, can you make Wendy Watson Latina? And, the, and she was great. Yeah, and, she, and, and, and we cast Natalie Morales, and it was great. But honestly, the, 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 what you're talking about, the energy, it's like mm-hmm. people, especially us comic book fans, can tell when the people making the adaptation are ashamed of what we loved in the original. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it often happens when, you know, instead of Tony Stark in an Iron Man suit, it's Tony Stark in a Xenia suit. And that's when you go, oh. <laughs> But I will say, I will say, you you still every once in a while hear someone use the word comic book in a derogatory fashion, like it's too comic booky. And I have stopped meetings with the um, you just religiously insulted. Just like you just insulted my religion. And also, you can't be making all these comic book movies and TV shows and look at them in a derogatory fashion. You should you should worship them and love them like a child. And and just and and for you to. Never, like you should never speak ill of them. Because I just imagine he was Tom Noonan in uh, in Manhunter, going, "You owe me all." No, 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 no. <laughs> I, just, no I politely said, I, I, "I must, I must say, having grown up with, and you know this too." Every article still, and when the New York Times there's an article about comics, it goes, "Biff, bam, pow, comics aren't for kids anymore." Really? Because Harvey Pekar was 35 fucking years ago. So can we stop with that? Fucking headline, sorry. And that's why Jessica Jones swears so much, I'm sorry. And, and by the way, that's why every year at Comic-Con, there's always some schmuck who writes that newspaper article right. who's, who's like that anthropological study of, look at the weirdos in their costumes. Yeah. Unbelievable. All right, I don't want to get you guys angry. Um, you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Let's get some questions. Do you guys have questions? I'm going to stand up. When you're adapting something, what obligation do you have to the source material? And for Brian, what obligation do you feel they should have? To you, any story worth telling has a point to it, and the point shouldn't be lost. Like there was a point to. I'll use Jessica as a perfect example of doing the right way. Jessica, there was a point to Jessica, and if you would just make a like a like a Columbo and avoid the point of Jessica. No, but there was a time where it was a network show Mm -hmm. that it was it was developed years before this. They asked me to do a run uh, Fox. Um, had me do a, a, a draft of a pilot, and Melissa started at ABC with it, and, and not saying that that's what they said to do, but my worry that the network version is, you know, because at the same time, I remember there was a, there was, um, um, Marge Helkenberger does a CSI, she talked about how her character never changes, like nothing, I, my character never learns anything.
anything. I'm on year 11, and she's still like, hmm, fibers, you know, and, uh, and, and I did, and I, but I see, like, but there's people who are very comforted by that kind of storytelling. My mother would be one of those people, and that's fine, and I'm not discounting millions it. Millions of people. But yeah, millions and millions of people are very comforted yeah. by that kind of storytelling, whereas Jessica is not, a, the, the case is revealing something about Jessica Absolutely. that's very important, and so the point I know it sounds silly, but there's a theme and a point to it. And you could do the high concept and miss the point. And sometimes it happened. And, 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 and I don't mean to poop on, 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 on the competitor, but that's what was wrong with Batman versus Superman. The point of Batman versus Superman is light versus dark, hope versus nihilism. And when they're both dark, there's no fight. Right. And then when people are like confused why they didn't like it, that's the only reason. Right. The premise of the fight from their first fight in 1940, blah, 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 to, to Dark Knight Returns was the light and the dark. So You're losing I mean, the Superman-ness yeah. of Superman. You could lose the Jessica Jones-ness of Jessica Jones. Yeah, and, and that could be done to any character. Absolutely. Right, I was yeah. going to say, I think, I think what's fascinating about the whole genre is that, you know, first of all, we take something, and as directors and as storytellers, you know, and somebody has a vision, and that vision... Is, is put into what you guys do, you know, is, is, it's a two-dimensional thing. You know what I mean? You've got written, you've got yeah. colors, and you've got words, and you've got drawing. You know, it's two-dimensional. So you get this thing, but what happens in reading it, connecting with the characters, is this other thing comes in, and this other energy comes in that you're talking about. It's like, that's the energy that you want to bottle. That's the magic. And as long as you take that magic... And anyone can read it and understand it or not understand it. And so when you take that magic and that's what you want to honor and that's what the vision of, you know, will be like to communicate what their vision is. And usually that vision is, is about tone and it is about character, you know. And because the other stuff is easy. Like, you know, our sets are not the big sets of, you know, the movies. I mean, we have little sets, but we've got big characters in those sets, you know. And I think that... When it fails is when it becomes all about the flashy stuff that you see and the subtext and the energy behind it is forgotten or that takes a back seat. Then it's not that interesting. It's fun to look at, but we've we've all looked at enough fun, flashy stuff now at this point in our lives. We have plenty of stimulus for that. So that's not enough. But when you can combine things, even on an epic scale, which I do think Marvel does amazingly well. You know, on the big movies, too, um, to just capture the relationships and the characters and, and giving every character a different voice, mm-hmm. which is really key. Yeah. Every character represents their own energy and their own thing. But you have to have big themes that we that we all yeah. catch into and and adapting it. I think that's as a director. I'm a storyteller, too. So I just want to tell the same story, but I want to, you know, do it. I don't think there's much difference between the movies and the television when it's done well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. We have time for a couple more questions. We have some right here up front. Yeah, I just have a quick one. Uh, di- adapting difficult stories, particularly, Brian, you mentioned Scarlet. Uh-huh. I honestly don't know how you're going to be able to pull that off. That's well. That's we're we're at the we're at the thank you. We're at the earliest earliest days of that. So um, stay tuned. But um, the team around Scarlet, which will be revealed very soon, are all on the same page. Um, I, I'm pretty excited about it because what I, when I was 
Because the, the, the downside, by the way, this actually brings up an, another subject, is that with, with the success of comic adaptations comes a lot of comic books that are just begging for adaptation. They're just, they're just pitches that are looking for a home. And you, like, sometimes you look through the previews catalog and it just says, you know, it's the Gremlins meets uh, the Munsters. And you're like, okay, show me something I haven't. Like, and that's why I like, kind of like about Jonathan Hickman's, like, he has a new book out and you read the description and you go, this guy does not care if this gets made into anything and, and, I, and I felt that about Scarlet because Scarlet is literally a list of things you can't get made like you know here's a female lead who's killing cops because the world is broken and you know, you know and, and I after your comments about Eddie Izzard's taint like knowing that these are things that you can't do, I'm like, holy crap! Yeah. And and but 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 so when people come and we didn't when when it sold, it was sold to people who were actively looking for that. So that so that puts us in a good place. So stay tuned. Yeah, great. That's I all think I can have... say it now. And who knows? It'll come out. It'll be a puppet show. Who knows what it'll be? So what is the difference between working for? Uh, some of the newer platforms like Netflix and PlayStation and um, the ones where you have probably more freedom versus classic networks. Can I answer that? None. Okay, none. They're all the same executives who are getting hired from the place they were fired from last year who are going to go work for the new media companies. They give you just as many notes. They make your life just as difficult. And if you don't have a very strong, clear idea of what you're doing, you're, you know, it, it's... And, and I'm not saying that to be derogatory about network executives. I've worked with great executives everywhere I've worked at, Okay. But here's the thing. It's really easy to say, oh, I've gone to this great new place called uh, Netflix or Flingy Poop or Wooby or whatever, <laughs> where they have creative freedom and basic cable is where there's creative freedom or pay cables. It's, it's, it's horse crap. When a show turns out well, it's because a creator uh, came in with a very clear vision uh, that, that that creator was able to put a team together that was able to enhance and make the vision better with their creativity. And the, and the executive saw that and had the wisdom to say, here's some ideas about how you can succeed on our platform even better, and here's my good notes to you about how to succeed in this venue, as opposed to, ah, this is not landing for me. I don't understand. This doesn't suit my own personal taste. You know, a good executive tells you, here at Pooflinger, we're trying to do this, that, and the other thing. If you hit these targets, you'll succeed, you know? And that's... And, and that's that clarity, when executives know their venue, when creators know what they're creating, and when collaborators bring all of their, all of their artistry into the rubric of a strong, clear vision, you get success. But in terms of the structure of all of these places, all that, the idea that any one piece of new media has more freedom than another is a shibboleth. Don't believe it. They'll bring you there to do that, and then they'll kill you. But, but the, on, the, on the other side of it, though, I, I will say the perception and perspective from the audience's point of view is, is very unique. I mean, when, when we were offered powers to go on PlayStation, my only concern was, will people know it's a real television show? Will people understand? <laughs> no, it was a, no, no. But this was just at, before Amazon hit and, and, and Netflix really hit its stride. And literally within the just a few months, it wasn't even a whole calendar year, things changed so quickly for a large part of the audience. Still not everybody, by the way. You know the, 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 the entertainment weeklies of it just still pretend like, like everyone watches Netflix. Not everybody, you know, but, but, but this, 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 this sea change, this gigantic change was so clear that when we announced Powers, oh, they're going to do a show too. Like there wasn't even a, a question. But I will say like even 
like um, we debuted last week, and they threw the first episode on YouTube, just to, you know, first pop brownies free kind of thing, and and we're, we're like up to three million views on on it, and that's just on YouTube. That's not even on on its normal streaming platform. It just that's bigger sh- than most NBC shows. It's it it shocked oh! it shocked no honestly it shocked us it 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 shocked us and it made me, it like it, it like and I'm like oh yeah. and then but I also teach college and I also have a teenage daughter and I see that they don't they're not plugged in at all they make their own network they pick their own shows from their own different things they're all like my daughter they're all together binging American Horror Story from five years ago. To come into class, talk about it amongst each other. Like she said, I have to stop watching Kimmy Schmidt. We're all watching American Horror Story, and that's how they're watching TV. What will it be like when they're 25 years old, when they're completely disconnected to cable? My, my none of my kids understand what live television is. Like when when like if something aired live, and they go, "Oh, show it again." I go, "I can't, sweetie. That's live." They go. I remember, like, well, actually, we were in the car, and there was a song. Play- it was on regular radio, and a song played, and my four-year-old went, oh, play it again. I go, no, sweetie, it's on radio. And she looked at her three-year-old brother and went. <laughs> right? And then every once in a while, they come into my office to look at the DVDs like I used to look at my mom's A-tracks. Anyway, so my point is that we're just at the beginning Really, of this sea change that that and it's happening quickly, but what will it be like when my teenage daughter and her friends who are unplugged who have made their own network what will what will television be like for them in eight years can but no, you, very you, quickly no, no, you yes. got, you got, no, you speak. no I just I wanted to say there is something to be said about um people binge watching things from Netflix and watching Jessica Jones the way they have, and it's been really a joy for me to connect with the fans of the show and people that notice things and notice frames and they, because they stop and they look at it and they, and as a director, I find it really exciting to connect with people like on Twitter, you know, and just sort of, it's just a different, it adds a whole other dimension to it. That's really exciting. It's super exciting. And it's not that different. And this is just my observation from our comic book audience. Look, I'm bringing it, Ben, I'm bringing it all home. I'm wrapping it up into a bow for you. But, uh, um, but, but in the comic books, people read them the day they come out or they read, they read them in individual issues or they read the trade paperback. They wait for the trades. So we have those viewers. Then we have the, the bingers. And this is something too, where people will read a 70 issue run in like a weekend right which is crazy because they weren't they weren't born they weren't built for that but it, when they survive it it's kind of amazing well actually i was never on twitter and then i knew that jessica jones was starting on thursday and so i knew that by the time they were gonna, I, by sunday i was on twitter because i knew people were then been watching episodes. enough and get to the episode and sort of like and it was blowing up, and it was so much yeah, fun it was crazy, for me. Yeah. It was really, really fun. It becomes a communal and thing, but that's the similarity to comics. It becomes feel a communal. Part of a community, yeah. which was such an honor for me. I just want to say you guys are awesome, and I just I need to say publicly thank oh. you for creating an amazingly complex female character. And and there was a lot of female directors on the show, which is unusual because I want in on that world, like like to be acknowledged and a part of in a way that is tough for us girls. I mean, it's really hard I, for us female directors. And I just want to thank I, you, thank I you for that very much. Appreciate that, but I'm looking forward to the day where it's not even a thing we talk about. Me too. I just uh, need to. Say please give a round of applause to all of our panelists: Rosemary Rodriguez, Javi Griel, Mark Swatch, Brian Michael Bendis. Thank you guys for being here. 
Now leaving Nerdist.com.